Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Let's face it, it's difficult to talk about pornography, especially among Christians. We get overwhelmed with feelings of shame and embarrassment while fearing how others will regard us with disgust or disdain. However, this is a huge struggle for a ton of people, both Christians and non-Christians in the world today. Drawing on some of what he shared last week with spiritual disciplines, Blake Courtright joins us once again to tackle this sensitive topic. He explains why porn is so hard to quit as well as reasons why it's worth it to gain freedom from this taskmaster. Then, in a remarkable display of courage and honesty, Courtright also shares his own 10-plus year struggle with pornography and what measures he took that finally liberated him. Whether this is a struggle in your life or not, this episode will give you a window into this issue and principles that you can apply to any number of other temptations that you might face. Warning, though, if children are around, although we do not discuss any graphic content, the general topic is probably inappropriate, depending on the ages. With that said, here now is Interview 20, How to Quit Pornography with Blake Courtright. Welcome to Restitutio. Thank you for having me, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're talking about a sensitive but very important topic, pornography, and where would you like to begin in discussing this subject? There is a widespread problem with pornography in, in a general sense, but specifically in the church. And I think we don't like to talk about it as Christians. I was talking to somebody, it's almost more shameful than, you know, someone who comes out with a testimony about, well, I was addicted to heroin and this and that, and they come out and say, but now I'm clean and everybody, everybody celebrates or they're struggling through it or they go to AA and, uh, but this pornographer is an anonymous. I would probably fail. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've never heard a sermon directly address just this subject, especially not on a Sunday. You know, in a sense, that would just be weird. But in another sense, it's like if the church is silent, then people's default is going to be what the culture teaches them. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a real need for openness on this subject. Yeah. Considering how widespread pornography use is, how would you explain to somebody who says, hey, this is just normal, healthy behavior, that there's a problem? Absolutely. I mean, other than, hey, this could ruin your marriage. Well, what if you're not married? To a non-Christian, it's interesting because recently there have been a lot of of secular organizations that have started to recognize the negative effects of it. And, and I mean, you could get into the side of the actual industry where there's issues with trafficking and abuse and drug addiction and all kinds of problems over there. But just talking on the user side of it, it physiologically changes your brain. It's not just a, a mental, emotional thing. It, it physically changes the pathways in your brain with extended use. And I mean, when you, you get into the point, there's things like fightthenewdrug.org and some of these great resources out there uh, that are secular resources. They're not pointing to a Christian worldview. They're simply saying, hey, this is a serious problem. They have shirts that say porn kills love and things like that to try and get this message out, which I think is great. 
And I saw a video from, I think it was from them, of Russell Brand sitting in his like bedroom or whatever, talking about it on a webcam, just of that kind of profile who is known for more of the kind of wild lifestyle that someone like that is saying, no, this is really, or, or Pam Anderson recently came out and said about how devastating it was. And people ripped her to shreds and said, well, that's hypocritical of you, but it's telling that people either from the industry or from entertainment in general are even able to pick up on the fact that this is not a healthy behavior. Mm. Uh, there was one other stat that I wanted to grab, and I think this came from a, I think it was like a Promise Keepers rally, but 50% of Christian men admitted to using pornography. That's pretty startling. It's not a, a problem outside of the church. It's a problem everywhere, Absolutely. inside and outside. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of us associate pornography use with with men. However, it seems like a lot of women are, are getting into it. So it's, it's something that's becoming increasingly more accepted among women as well. Yeah. So speaking to non-Christians, you can talk about how it's an addictive problem. It's an issue that is not only destructive to the user, but also wreaks havoc on the lives of the people who are enslaved in the industry that is creating it. But to the Christian... I think we have any, a much stronger witness against it than, than simply those things. I mean, Jesus also says, you know, as he's challenging the status quo of the religious, who would say, well, you know, you say uh, the certificate of divorce and yada, 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 and he goes through and he keeps escalating things. He says, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Yeah. And to me, that was one of the most revealing when, when Jesus says it in that way, because he doesn't beat around the bush. Yeah. And what, what is pornography other than looking at someone with lust? <laughs> I mean, it's almost by definition, right? What I find so startling about that text where, where Jesus is, this is in uh, Matthew 5, 27 to 30 that you just mentioned, is that he uses such uh, hyperbolic language to make his point. I mean, he says, rip out your eye cut off your hand. Yeah. I mean, this is the strongest way you can possibly say something. I mean, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Yeah. I can't imagine a stronger way to say that same thing yeah. than what Jesus did. And you read through all of the sayings of Jesus, whatever teaching we're talking about, you never find him talking about like intentionally maiming yourself. I mean, maybe there's one other place where he says, it's better to put a millstone around your neck than to offend one of these little ones. But like, other than that, like this is, this is like his strongest statement. And it comes, it comes on the subject of lust, yeah. not lust expressed in physical action, hmm. but just lust in your heart. Yeah. You know, you can have the outward holiness of the Pharisees where you look really good, but the inside of the cup isn't clean. And that's not where we want to be. And in a lot of these statements, he is bringing us to a place to challenge us about our soul and about our heart state, because the external action will follow the heart. As with our words, right? Out of the desire of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. So Jesus is really concerned and interested about the heart, soul, mind, not just the external action. And I think that this particular struggle of pornography, perhaps more than a lot of the other things in the church, is almost entirely an internal heart issue. Obviously, there is a physical behavior associated with it, and, and those can escalate, those physical behaviors. At the end of the day, it's a heart 
issue. It is that looking with lust. And one of the biggest things I think as Christians is the shame yes. that follows. It, it's like somebody said it's almost more shameful than like spousal abuse or something terrible. You know, just as an exaggeration, but people treat it with this disdain and disgust, mm-hmm. even though, according to some of the stats, 50% of the men in the church are struggling with it. And so everybody isolates themselves and they act like they're in this little bubble where they're the only person doing this foul thing. And they can't ask anybody else for help because if anybody knew, God forbid, someone should know that that I, I struggle with sin. Oh no. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Sin is so much like mildew. It flourishes in the dark corners where there's no light or air or access. And so often... I mean, whether it's the sin of watching pornography or a thousand other sins, if if we can somehow get accountable to a brother or sister in Christ, that will make a big difference. Sometimes even just telling somebody and saying, hey, I need to tell somebody this, I just ask that you keep this confidential, mm-hmm. and then pray with that person, just just that simple little act of courage is enough to overcome a lot of sins. Yeah. Uh, it depends on how addicting the sin is. So how do we break through that? I mean, hmm. as far as the, the shame issue goes, what should we do? We need to be open to dialogue about it. And I think it is best within your gender, men to men, women to women. I, I, I That's kind of a rule I've always stuck to. <laughs> I just think it, it can cause, unless it's a spouse. I think in that situation... I've heard Christian men who struggled or, or women who struggled who dialogue, you know, who, who work with their spouse. And it can become a very, very um, healthy thing from what I've heard, you know, where they, they are struggling, they confess, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain. But then by the grace of God and by their working together, it becomes a thing where they draw closer because they're fighting this together and it's not alone. I mean, um, but other than a spousal situation, I, I always advise people to dialogue within the gender just due to the nature of it but i think that we need to have a willingness to kind of bring these things out in the light we need to have a willingness to testify when there's victory and not feel the shame that you know it's it's kind of ridiculous right someone was was slave to sin and now they're slave to christ and they're freed from sin and the shackles and they don't want to talk about it because the sin was so shameful Mm -hmm. They can't even name it. I mean, they're not going into explicit detail, but to the point that I, oh, I couldn't even say that I dealt with that because it was just so shameful and people wouldn't think the same way. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It is. It's precisely that mindset that keeps so many in the closet, continuing on in the pattern without finding any victory. Yeah. I don't remember where I found this, this but I read it. Uh, it might have been on, I think it was on fightthenewdrug.org. In a single pornographic viewing session today on the internet, an individual can have more uh, arousal for more sexual partners than any of our ancestors would have had in their lifetime. Wow. (laughs) I mean, and then you imagine doing that over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. and you are destroying the ability to be satisfied in one other Mm -hmm. and destroying the value of women. I mean, it's dehumanizing. And it is to men too, but predominantly it's centered uh, on women. And it messes your ability to interact. 
it messes your perception of reality of the 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 reasons why people engage in sexual activity i mean it's just like it's uh its destructive powers are very very far reaching and what it does to the brain as you continue to view it it is like a narcotic as you start to view it the brain is flooded with dopamine it doesn't know what to do with that so it pulls back some of its dopamine receptors so the next time it doesn't get overloaded oh i see but in order to so you need more to get the same effect you need more ah. to get the same effect caffeine's another great example you start drinking one cup of coffee a day you're good but if you do that every single day or you do it twice a day or something all of a sudden that caffeine doesn't have the same effect mm -hmm. because the receptors have drawn back so your body doesn't get overloaded so then you need more and with pornography what happens is you need more of it you need it more often and you start going to more extreme right forms of pornography and also from that fight the new drug they talk about how your the searches of a pornography user get increasingly extreme increasingly risky sexual activity and also it begins to go against your own sexual orientation or your own behavior. So you start mm -hmm. looking at things that disgust you, that you would never dream of participating in, but because you need that rush in order to feel something, you start viewing more and more extreme things. And so it's, it is not a, um, a self-limiting activity. And, and also with that dopamine thing, the other problem of that and why the depression rate is so much higher among pornography users is you do so you know you eat chocolate that's really good you get a little burst of dopamine you play a sport with friends that you really enjoy you get a little burst of dopamine you like for me I climb a mountain i see a sunrise burst of dopamine but with the pornography as your brain is flooded with it the receptors are pulled back so now you have less of them so the things that used to give you oh, joy and yeah. pleasure suddenly don't and you find dissatisfaction in life and work and friendships and relationships and all kinds of things. And so you end up becoming more depressed, which drives you to more porn. <laughs> right. Right. Just to feel alive, it's, just to feel connected. It huh. is a, a perfect, uh, from a very sinister standpoint, product from a business standpoint, because it creates its own demand. Especially as Christians, we feel bad. The things that we do to make ourselves feel better don't work. So then we do the one thing that does make us feel better, <laughs> which makes us feel worse. Yeah. yeah. And we have a couple great examples in the Bible of how to do it well <laughs> and how to do it really badly. Yeah, let's talk about solutions a little bit. Yeah. I mean, how? <laughs> l let's say someone who's listening to this is feeling convicted right now, and they're watching pornography, and, and they've come to see either they already knew it themselves and they're ashamed of it, or they're, they're coming to see that, hey, wow, this is not acceptable Christian behavior. Yeah just from on the basis of what Jesus says about mm -hmm. lusting after a woman or if it's after a man, I mean, whichever we're talking about here, and, and they're interested in freedom. I mean, mm -hmm. can you share a little bit about, as far as practicality, what can be done yeah, to, to get out from underneath the cycle here? Yeah. So I wanted to reference in that practicality, reference two biblical figures, um, which I think come up often when people talk about this topic, Joseph and David. Okay. So Joseph is a slave, he's in Egypt, he's in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife keeps trying to seduce him. And one day, they're the only two in the house, and she takes hold of his robe and says, lie with me, and he runs out naked. <laughs> and then she accuses him of trying to, to rape her, and he gets thrown in prison, and he, and he suffers a consequence for something when he was doing the right thing. 
but God honors him, as we saw in the story of Joseph. And I think that is a great example of in fighting this addiction and fighting this problem, the answer is not to stand in front of the wave and see if you get hit. Like, it's get out of the situation as quickly as you can. So for some people, that might mean you don't have a computer in your bedroom. That might mean you don't have a computer in your house. Or, or if it's television, you're using the, the TV to, to acquire it. For some people, that might mean, you know, you're out at a, at a hotel room or whatever, and maybe you just need to get out of there and go down uh, to the restaurant or something and meet up with people, which comes to my second point of David. We all know the story of David and Bathsheba, but some of the details of that are that at the time when kings go out to war, David sends his men out, but he stayed behind. So he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And I think for men and women alike, that is a open invitation for the enemy to come after us with uh, temptation. And I know for me in my own life, and my own struggle, that was always an open door for this stuff. He was bored walking around the top of the, you know, he didn't have anything to do. And then mm -hmm. he sees this woman bathing and then he commits this act and, and it leads to all this devastation and the murder of Uriah. I mean, it just escalates. A lot of us have been in that circumstance. We're alone. It's dark. We're not where we're supposed to be, and we're bored, or we're tired, or whatever. So I think you combat the circumstances directly that lead to this. So first thing is be where you're supposed to be, and that's not just you know be at work, be at class, be at you know a meeting or whatever. But I don't think we're supposed to just sit in our bedroom on our computer all day. You know, so that's kind of a right. Yeah. <laughs> be out. You know, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Preach the gospel. So go out, meet people, meet up with friends, do do work, be and find satisfaction in that. The other thing is to have your, your band of brothers, your warriors around you, because in isolation, a man is almost certainly going to fall to this. Gordon Dalby's Healing the Masculine Soul, he comments on this and he says, apart from his fellow men, David lost his warrior's sense of discipline and concern for their welfare. And unlike Uriah, the average man of today often lacks commitment to a community of fellow warriors who support and encourage his own manly integrity. So Uriah was incredible in that situation, but he was he had this mentality of brotherhood with the men that he fought with. I can't I can't stay here and lie with my wife when they're out fighting. I have to go back to he wanted to be where he was supposed to be. Mm. One of the strongest weapons against pornography is confession getting a little into the spiritual discipline side of things, that's one of the oldest practices of the church. And it's not confession in the sense that you see in some of the high churches of you sit in a booth and you tell the priest at the end of the week the things you did. It's like this. We sit across a table and I say, man, I, I struggled with this this week. I stumbled with this. And we pray for each other and declare the forgiveness of Jesus, the cleansing of his blood over, and the outpouring of the Spirit to change the heart because we're not going to change ourselves, but we, we can remove ourselves from a situation where we are open to sin and put ourselves in a situation where we're open to God. And I think that's a huge piece of this. Also commenting on this, Eldridge says in Wild at Heart, David was no longer a warrior. He sent others to do his fighting for him. Bored, sated, and fat, he strolls around the roof of the palace looking for something to amuse him. <laughs> but I love that picture though. It's like when, when, and we are called, we are in a spiritual battle. And so in that sense, we're not out fighting with swords, we're fighting against spiritual powers. Taking on some of that mentality as men that we're a band of brothers, like that we have that, that close-knit strength and we 
confess to one another and we draw strength from one another and we have each other's back. I mean, you look at some of the warriors of ancient cultures and the ways that they would fight are very, very interesting. Their, their battle tactics, but I think it was the Spartans. They always had the man to their left or the man to their right. Like, so the guy never had to worry about that side of him because the guy to that side always had his back. And I think that if we could take that attitude as a church in our, you know, it's not that I'm going to, or you're going to, you know, be accountable for every single guy <laughs> in the church. I think that's an, an insane burden. But if everyone is accountable to the guy to his right, that creates this tight knit strength where we're looking out for one another. We're praying for one another. We're actively, hey, I didn't, I, you know, hey, we missed you tonight at small group. How you doing? Or, hey, let's go get coffee. How you doing? And we we pray for one another and we intercede for one another. You know, one thing that's happened with me, I have a brother in the faith who's been going through a terrible storm in his life. And sometimes I wake up at three in the morning out of the blue. No re you know, and, I, and I'm like, wow, what am I, <laughs> once I shake off the initial, why am I awake? I start praying for him and for his situation. Uh, you know, I'll send him a text the next day. Hey, you know, woke up and prayed for you. And he was awake at that time. Hmm. Wow. Struggling spiritually. So I think that if we take that mentality of we are looking out for the guy to our right or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, I think that is one of the most powerful weapons against pornography. Yeah. Confession, community, and not just accountability partners. I think that that term gets a little, a little weak because it's like, oh, I, my masculinity is inherently bad and I need someone to watch out and make sure I don't fall. But this idea of warriors in a spiritual battle yeah. that we are looking out for one another. Yeah. And this is not a foreign analogy to Scripture. I mean, you no. look at Ephesians 6 and the whole spiritual armament, that's very much a focus there and in other places as well, in First Corinthians, for example. So what I hear you saying, and you're bringing this up repeatedly here, is that pornography is not something that we should tolerate. It's not something that we should be neutral towards yeah. and like whatever floats your boat kind of a mindset. And what we should do is we should look at it the way Joseph looked at Potiphar's wife, hmm. which is something that <laughs> is so deadly yeah. and devastating that we can't play with it. We can't dip our toe in the water. We need to flee it. Yeah. Just like it said in 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee from pornea, flee from yeah. sexual immorality. And uh, I, I think it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, paradox there that the manly <laughs> warrior thing to do is run away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, we'll leave that alone for now. But um, that, that is true. Yeah. I mean, this is not something to negotiate with, no. to domesticate or weaken down. It's like, oh, I'll just watch rated R movies on Cinemax and that'll be... <laughs> or Skinamax, <laughs> and that'll be how I cope with this desire of mine, and I won't like go to the hardcore web. No, there's no domesticating. There's no negotiating. This thing is poisonous, and it's going to kill you spiritually. And it, it might also kill your job. It might also kill other relationships you have with people. There's no messing around. You need to run, and you need to, you need to go with other men and fight this thing, and, mm -hmm. and you can overcome it. Yes. This is not an undefeatable enemy. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that to have that hope, because when you are caught in the shame and you're caught in this hopeless cycle of, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but I can't stop, mm -hmm. you feel like you're in a box because you can't ask for help because, God forbid, you mention it, someone's going to think you're a pervert. And so you just end up stuck there because the only way out is through 
community and through faith. And I, I love what Dalby says in Healing the Masculine Soul about about this issue. He says, freedom to choose sexual purity and thereby the avenue to fulfill your God-ordained destiny is not about conquering your desires, but rather about surrendering to God. And he quotes Romans seven fourteen: sin must not be your master. And then he points later, self-control, after all, is a fruit of the Spirit from Galatians five twenty three. It is not the natural result of our own effort, but the supernatural result of God's effort. And C.S. Lewis says, until you have given yourself to him, you will not have a real self. I love that. <laughs> but this idea of surrendering to God in this fight, because I know in my own life, in my own struggle, um, which we could get into in a minute, I tried to conquer my desires for years and failed miserably. <laughs> I mean, I thought, oh, I'm going to... I'm not going to do this. I'm going to will my way out of this. Right. And that does not work. Some people can do it, and I, God bless them. More power to them. Mm-hmm. But most of us, I think, especially those of ex- exposed at a young age, mm-hmm. that's not possible. Well, so let's go there. Since yeah. you, you're, go. <laughs> you, you've spoken about how you don't want to let the uh, sense of shame push you away from saying anything and... <laughs> that we need to be courageous warriors. So here's your chance, Blake, help us out. Share a little bit about your story here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So you and I both grew up in the church, both pastors, kids. (laughs) And so I always knew God's word. I was very familiar with Proverbs and there's a lot in Proverbs about adultery and about lust. You know, that the, <laughs> her house leads down to death. Like, it's very graphic. And that made an impression on me, you know, reading through scripture as a kid. I was like, oh, that's something not to mess with. But I must have been nine or 10. I don't remember exactly when I was just scrolling the internet for something innocent. And all of a sudden, there's this pornographic image. And my brain didn't, you know, I didn't even know what to do with it. And it, it, not everyone's going to have that experience, but I think those who have had it know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this sense of excitement and this sense of fear and this sense of not wanting to be caught, but also this urge to to look back again, you know, and that, and at eight or nine years old, I didn't know how to contextualize that. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know what I was dealing with. And because of the nature of it, of course, it was, a, you know, secretive. It wasn't something that I was like going to, hey, look what I found, you know, <laughs> like, because then, it, you know, if I had, somebody could have intervened potentially at that point and contextualized what was going on. And, but, you know, it's a secretive activity. And even then I had this sense of shame about it as a kid. And then when I hit puberty, it just got worse, you know, as a teenager. I think when I was 12 or 13, I went to uh, teen camp for the first time. And you preached about, I think it was you were preaching about God's wrath and his justice. And it shook me because mm-hmm. I'd been dealing with this for you know three or four years at that time. And I'm you know, way younger than the average age of exposure from that stat. And it shook me. And, it, and I remember I like went upstairs and cried and cried out to God about, you know, take this away. I don't want to do this anymore. So it, from that point, you know, I knew it was wrong and it was something I wanted out. I did not want to behave in that but I couldn't stop over the years. And I tried, you know, and I would, you know, get caught or talk to other people or, you know, have some accountability partner. I, I did like little booklet workbooks. I did like a 30 day program. I did a 60 day program. I did a 90 day program. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was like, I was trying everything or so I thought. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I tried web blockers, but I could always get around them. I tried like 
accountability things where it'll send an alert to somebody if you looked at something suspicious right, and they yeah. say, hey, you know, but that's that just covenant eyes. Uh, yeah, there's a yeah. couple. I actually couldn't find some of them recently, but there's a couple different resources out there, which for some people may work great. And right. that's awesome. But I think because of where I was exposed and because of just the circumstance, you know, it just became this, this vicious battle. And whenever I would, you know, go to a retreat or have a really convicting sermon on Sunday, I'd always, you know, that's it. I'm never going to do this again. And then a week later, I'm back to it, you know, and it was the same pattern and it, and it, it devastated me. I mean, it made me, it made it difficult to socialize in some situations because I didn't necessarily, you know, I felt this, this kind of shame over this behavior. So I felt that there was only so much I could open up about. And then the flip side of that is sometimes at retreats, you know, we'd be in a circle and I would, you know, we'd be confessing and asking forgiveness and I would. And then I'd go back to it, you know, because I didn't connect to a specific individual to fight through it with. Yeah. I just sort of made this generic statement. <laughs> and I think the most dramatic one, though, was like the last teen camp, one of the last teen camps I went to was about encountering God. Right. And there was this really powerful proclamation of the gospel. And I said, I want to be all, you know, I had this really convicting moment. And I stepped into that. And God did a lot that week and really challenged my perceptions of my strength versus his strength. And uh, then I went away to college, to a Christian school, which was amazing to be saturated in that. But at the same time, I fell back into it a couple of months later. Hmm. And, and a lot of the guys at that school struggled with it. And of course, we couldn't talk about it because that just... Well, weird. you're at a Christian school. <laughs> Christians right, don't be... do porn. No, so, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we, none of us are doing it here. God right? forbid, yeah. <laughs> Lots of closed doors there. And it just became this this vicious thing. But what was interesting was the one thing I always said was, well, you know, I'll do, blo I'll do site blockers. I'll do accountability. I'll do that. You know, I was always, always kind of wishy-washy about, despite my conviction that it was wrong and I wanted to stop, I had this like thing in my head about, well, I'm not going to get rid of my phone and I'm not going to get rid of my internet. That would just be ludicrous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who would do such a thing? Right. And this then, is the 21st century. Right. I mean, you know, and I'm a millennial. I need to be attached to a device right. 24 seven, you know? And, and your, <laughs> your trade is in technology as a cinematographer or whatever you are. Right. What are, what are videographer, you? Videographer, filmmaker. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the media and I have to be, I have to have, I can't get rid of my smartphone. That would just be, that would be insane. But at the same time, I, something had to change. So eventually, you know, I, well, hold on before you get yeah. to that, how many years are we talking about here as far as like an ongoing off and on struggle? Right, with right. This? at least 11 or 12 years. Okay, so this is, this is something that has been part of your life for 11, 12 years that you've had some temporary victory over, mm -hmm. but could never break through to any kind of like lasting change. Yeah. And so what, what for you was that moment where you said, that's it, it's enough. I'm gonna do something different. <laughs> what was that moment for you? Yeah. So when I, I, you know, I graduated college, I got a job, I moved out on my own. Mm -hmm. And that was a great feeling. You know, I felt this sense of accomplishment. I felt really You're good about an life. Independent man. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I had my car, I had my apartment, I have this great job and I get to live in a mountain, you know, I get to go and be outdoorsy and have adventures. And that was great. But I lived alone and I had internet in my head. So, you know, inevitably there would be more struggle. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you also went from this really, you, you were in a, a community on steroids at yeah. your Christian school. Absolutely. Because there's just <laughs> like, there's this group, there's that group, there's 
uh, the dorm. There's so many Christian activities. You're just yeah. surrounded all the time. And that's a lot of people who go away to whether Christian school or non-Christian school. I mean, there's just so many social options. And then suddenly everything slows way down. Yeah. You're living alone. Yeah. You're working a job. And bless your heart, you chose to move to the North Country where <laughs> there just aren't that many people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and before I'd been a small group leader for three years, so I was right. really vested in the community. I was leading, I was serving other people. But now I'm on my own and I don't really, you know, I was going to a church on and off. Yeah, but you were struggling with it even back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it seems like everything's going against you here. Yeah, and what ended up happening was basically desperation. I mean, that's what it, it took getting to a breaking point where I said, I, I, nothing has worked. And I was speaking to a brother in the faith about, since I moved up there, I started listening to a lot of the Christian classics and really diving into a lot of this stuff. And God had been doing a lot of great things in my life over the last six months. And I thought, oh, this is great. And I was, I was so enthusiastic to share with him about it. I said, all right, yeah, that's awesome. What about the, uh, how's the, uh, the other issue going? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm struggling X amount of times a month. And he was like, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> right. He was like, that is... Uh, and, you know, I went from this exuberance about all this stuff God was teaching me and all the things I was growing into this kind of very mellow, very serious conversation about holiness. Mm. And my brother had enough courage and loved me enough as a brother in, in faith to, to confront me and to say, look, that's not okay. It's not okay that, you know, oh, that's great. All this other stuff is going on, but you still have this area that you have not surrendered and you've, you've grown almost apathetic to it. That, oh, well, it'll, it'll sort itself out. It was sort of where I was at. And he really challenged me hard. And he said, he referred me to Jesus talking about cut off your hand, tear out your eye, get serious. And he, but he didn't leave me there. He also provided me some resources. He said, get rid of your internet. And I, and I said, I was like, oh, man. Are you crazy? <laughs> like, Are you sure about this? Um, and he said, uh, join a monastery. Cut right. your hair off. <laughs> I mean, what is right. this? He says, get rid of your internet. Get, you know, get rid of your, your, your cable. And, and I said, yeah, but, you know, the smartphone. And he said, I, said, I can't get rid of the phone for, for work. You know, and, you know, of course, what a, what a lame excuse in, you know, confronting holiness. Like, oh, well, I, I have. It's almost like, oh, I have to do homework tonight. <laughs> I can't go do the thing. Um, I can't go off to the mountain of God with you. Sorry. He said, and then he provided me with resources of how, you know, on the iPhone, there are ways you can restrict it pretty phenomenally. You know, you don't need external software with the, you know, with the restriction settings. So I found an accountability, you know, a brother in the faith up there who I confessed to, and he helped me set that up. And it took a lot of adjustment <laughs> because... You know, June 1st last year, I got rid of my internet and I dumbed down my smartphone, is how I say it. You know, I basically made it so I can't download apps. And I originally tried a blacklist Safari where it would, you know, it, it would block things that had illicit text in it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And But eventually there were still ways to find something, you know, a scrap of something. And I just said, no, you know, whitelisting, which is basically here's a list of websites I can access. Oh, okay. So that's it. I mean, that's, it's, uh, and I have deleted other apps because there were, even if it wasn't pornography, it was just tempting enough. You know, I would get a, a glimpse of, so I, and now it's gotten to the point that if I find, if there's any moment where I'm like, wow, that's a little much, I just delete it. It's become an impulse now <laughs> where before it was this big struggle. Well, maybe if I do it again, 
<laughs> it was just really mm-hmm. hesitant to let go. But, and, and I don't get me wrong. I mean, that was, that came at a, at like the worst possible timing for me too, because I was about to gear up into summer season for my job, which is extraordinarily busy. You're talking 12, 15 hour days, sometimes shooting and traveling and I'm exhausted. And when I want to come home, I want to watch Netflix. I want to, you know, like, and I didn't have So that. you can't watch Netflix. Correct. I can't watch Netflix. I can't watch Hulu. I, so you're the millennial with no internet. That's, that's, I, <laughs> and a dumb phone and a shaped dumb like phone. a smartphone. Shaped like a smartphone. <laughs> so, so what do you do? Like you need to check your email. What do you do? The beautiful thing about email is they have apps that are just email. Okay. So that's a wonderful tool. Um, so you can do email on your phone. I can do email. I can but do not texting. on your computer. Correct. If I, if I want to write a lengthy email, I have to go somewhere, a public space that has internet. Right. So you're not Amish. You're not Correct. swearing. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're not swearing off the use of technology, right. but you are applying the shockingly severe language of Jesus to the modern age. Yeah. I mean, what is ripping out the eye in the modern context other than getting rid of your internet at home? Yeah. Not that you're not going to use internet, but you're not going to use it at home. Yeah. So you can use it at the coffee shop, you can use it at the at the job site but yeah. you're not going to use it at home and so the, these kinds of like extreme measures you've taken how, how's it gone is that made a change in your life or what's the story after that yeah so you know as i said that came at a really rough time for me i was busy with work i was stressed emotionally i i went through some emotional turmoil there which wasn't uncommon for me but it was it was the same sort of thing that would normally drive me back to that behavior and then all of a sudden I'm having withdrawals basically like a, because the dopamine was so, I was so used to these rushes of dopamine for so many years mm-hmm. that now a bike ride or a piece of chocolate or a good beer or something didn't do enough, you know, and I, and I didn't have TV to entertain me at night when I was bored. So it became a real, real challenge. I mean, the first couple months were brutal. It was like, what'd you do? Uh, <laughs> I suffered through it for a while. I mean, it was it was a sacrifice. And my friend said to me, he said, that's why it's called a sacrifice. Wow. And that challenged me. <laughs> and it was good. I mean, it was brutal. It was, it was extreme. And now it's been almost 10 months. I don't even think about it now. Mm-hmm. It's just the way I live. Now, what would you say about your quality of life? I would say at the first, it decreased. Mm-hmm. Because I was stressed, I was anxious, I was kind of depressed, I was emotionally stressed, and then I didn't have my normal fix that I would go to. And so suddenly, I had to find new ways. So that first couple of months was hard. And I, I want to be honest to anyone who's serious about fighting, it is going to be tough. But I spoke with this brother in the faith every week. And we prayed together. And we prayed for God's joy to flood in, for me to experience true joy mm-hmm. in the Lord. Uh, in obedience to the Lord. We talked about this uh, the other night about the Christian hedonism idea, this idea of seeking pleasure as a lifestyle, but not the hedonistic way of, uh, you know, the, the the Greeks or the Romans of this, like, we're going to seek sexual pleasure, which very much, I mean, people who have struggled with it, that's where you are. So we replaced the hedonism of impurity with Christian hedonism, this idea that our greatest pleasure is found in serving God mm-hmm. and in honoring him. And so I want to live in a way that I'm always serving him because that brings the greatest joy because that's the way we're designed is we, we find the greatest joy in him. 
And so that discovery process was, was a journey. It was not, you know, I, I called it the desert journey, uh, which was a reference <laughs> to uh, Henri Nouwen's book about the spiritual disciplines and about the desert fathers who went out, the, the way of the heart, who went out uh, into the desert and did these ascetic practices mm-hmm. to get away from the craziness of the world. And, you know, a lot of those resources helped me, these ideas of silence, solitude, and unceasing prayer, because I was alone a lot of the time. That you know, I would try to connect with people, but I live in an area where there's not a lot of opportunity to do that. One thing that helped, though, was definitely communicating with this brother in the faith. And then the the, the gentleman that I mentioned earlier, uh, we would meet very regularly. Not necessarily about that, but I was pouring into somebody else's life. So it wasn't just, I cut out all this stuff, and now I have this vacuum. But I started filling it. I, I bought a kayak, and I started paddling often. Okay. <laughs> and, and I got out and I started experiencing life in a way that I had not before. And I couldn't have before because my joy was dampened by this overflow of dopamine from an unnatural source. And the brain heals itself over time. Right. So where, where are you at now as far as like, does a piece of chocolate do it for you? <laughs> or I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate. I'll be honest. There are still days where, you know, something I'm, you know, I'm out in public. There's an ad that pops up or something. There are, it, it's not that it goes away. The struggle is still there. However, my ability to turn away and not look back has become strong. Mm -hmm. And my ability to stand firm in scripture has become strong. And my ability to resist has become stronger, but not by my own power. That was the Lord's doing. I simply put myself in a position where he could do that work. I got this crap out of the way and I started to fill my time with reading scripture and reading Christian writers. And I would journal a lot. And I actually journaled all the way through this, this process. You know, it wasn't always daily, but I would write down. And when I would struggle or when I would be really tempted, I'd write about it. And I'd say, oh, I'm, and I would try to isolate the triggers by journaling. So I'd write yeah, down. triggers, that's important. Yeah. yeah, so I'd write down what I was, especially early on, because I was still trying to, like I said, I was still trying to figure out what to do with the phone and how to really narrow everything in. Right, so that's how you figured out what to do. Yeah. Was you, you, you kept track of all the times that something inspired it in you or tempted yeah. you. Yeah, you know? and I used to hate journaling. I used to think it was just ridiculous, and now it's like a, a, a regular practice in life. And I'd write down, you know, oh, man, I, I, I was really tempted this afternoon, and I'm tired, and I was alone, and I'm anxious about something coming up. And I would, and over time, you know, over hundreds of pages, I started to see patterns. And so I would intentionally go to scripture, go to the community of faith, go and, you know, not to be the cliche, like millennial adventurer, but like go out and have experiences in nature with God, with people that filled me. I mean, I I feel satisfied after recently I went and did a, a ski trip and I went down from Whiteface Mountain for the first time a couple weeks ago from the summit and I didn't fall the whole way down. And that was just exhilarating. Oh, I found oh, this, this nice. joy. Thank you. <laughs> I, f- I found a joy though, and a pleasure in that simply in the experience and not trying to, I didn't need to like put my mind somewhere else. I could just be there and enjoy it. And I wasn't distracted and it was just a, a freeing thing. And I've talked to other Christians too, who, and, and this friend of mine who have struggled uh, and, and overcome it. And they say it doesn't ever really completely disappear. There will always be temptation, but the urge decreases greatly as you continue, you know, as sanctification continues through the spirit, mm-hmm. the urge decreases and decreases and decreases until its grasp on you is 
minuscule and it can't pull you back. Mm-hmm. I, I heard a description of it like a, uh, a beast in a cage in the basement. And the more that you view pornography or masturbate or sexually fantasize, the stronger it becomes, even though it's in the basement, but it's controlling all of your actions. But if you starve it, it'll die. Wow. Great analogy. I love that. Um, And I think that's been very much my experience. I would say quality of life, especially now, has become so much greater. I, I can have better interactions with the people around me. I feel a strength that I haven't known before in my faith because I've seen God transform this part of my life in a way that I didn't know was possible. Well, going back to your experience before, mm-hmm. you mentioned this constant struggle of feeling like a hypocrite almost. Yeah. In the sense that you know, you genuinely love God and you go to these different events and like you you care about your Bible, you care about doing Christian things with other people but then you then you would fall back into this temptation and how you um were were sort of like spiritually exhausted by that and found yourself alienated from even from the community and like in a sense that battle is no longer part of your life yeah where you have two things pulling you in opposite directions not that there's not a battle but can you speak to that a little bit like how do you feel more authentic i i don't want to give this perception that I'm some super saint or like I I'm a, a monk live it. Cause I don't live in a little cabin in the mountains, 10 miles away from civilization. Like I live on a street, there's a coffee shop, a very cozy coffee shop, you know, around the block that I walk to almost every day. And I use the internet there in a big public space. And I'm still, you know, I still have Facebook. <laughs> I got it off my phone. Cause it was just consuming a lot of my time. Like, like that became a vacuum. You know, I would go to social media. So I got rid of that off my phone. So I'm not just sitting there till two in the morning, just scrolling. Oh, I wonder if anything has changed, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, life has been better for that too, because now, you know, I, I get on Facebook maybe once or twice a day when I open up my laptop somewhere and that's been really freeing and also great for my, you know, from a psychological standpoint. Overuse of social media for millennials is really devastating to self-esteem. It, it messes with your perceptions because everybody's always posting the top 1% of their life. And then you're like, well, I'm sitting on my couch. I feel miserable. <laughs> you know. And, and so there have been a lot of side benefits to this experience. It wasn't just, oh, now I'm not looking at pornography. It has expanded into other areas of life that I didn't foresee or intend, but it has brought a, a holistic freedom and what it was, though, like I said, it was desperation. It wasn't like I did this out of some fortitude or strength of I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat this this time. It was right. all right, Lord, this is it. I, I, you know, I'm gonna cut it all off and and just trust that you're gonna take care of this. Like, do you feel like in an average night where you're sitting at home, uh, do do you feel like your life is less full or or less satisfying? Do you feel deprived? No, I feel. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel like I was deprived before. Okay. When I was staying up till three in the morning, you know, watching the Netflix thing, and then I go to reach for the remote when it auto starts the next episode. Oh, I missed it. Gotta gotta watch another forty minutes. You know, <laughs> like I was just just in this constant cycle. Right. And and forget. I mean, bar, forgetting the pornography aspects of it, just the this driving sense of competition through social media, this sense of needing to be constantly entertained. Right. And, and never being able to just switch it all off and be still 
Um, and not that I'm, I, you know, I, I have a lot of movies. I have some some series on Blu-ray that I watch. So I'm not completely devoid of entertainment, but it's not every night. Right. It's more manageable. Yeah. And, and I found more joy in reading, and, you know, and listening to audiobooks. Wait, what is, what was that R word you used? Reading. Read, what, yeah. What, what, <laughs> is, that, is that where you have like ink on a page and yeah. you use your eyes to well, decipher the symbols? I mean, even to the point that I, I bought the Bible as a six volume set with no chapters or verses so I could read it closer to the original experience, uh-huh. <laughs> which has been great because I, you know, I, I, I start finding things that I hadn't seen before, especially with Jesus. I'm starting to see more of his personality and his character, not just this picture of a guy doing nice things or doing good things, but really seeing the way he interacted through the text and seeing, well, that's, wait, that that's not exactly a, a normal interaction there. What's he doing here? You know, and so a lot, first of all, a lot of us don't read our Bibles. Let's just I've been be honest. There. <laughs> um, then there are a lot of us who read our Bibles because we believe we should, and it's sort of like an obligatory morning routine. So you're saying you, you will crack open the Bible just like in the evening for fun? Yeah, well, it's become, I, I read this blog article about, uh, called Bookending Your Day from Art of Manliness. Great, I love that blog. they got some great stuff on there. I'm a Brett McKay fan myself. It's, it's, yeah, and, and he, but they talked about this idea of like, if your life's like a bookshelf or whatever, you know, and you got the books going across your day, you want to have bookends to keep it sturdy. So you start and end the day with kind of a, a disciplined practice. And what it does is it shapes your days and it shapes the the productivity of your day. It shapes the, the amount of joy you experience in the day because you start the day the same way, you end the day the same way. And I'm not always, I'm not saying that I do that every single day. There are definitely days where I come home and I just slump on the bed and I'm not, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not all uh, super spiritual. I'm not a monk doing the same thing every single day, but it has greatly increased those kind of practices where I sit there and I read and I journal what I'm reading and I light a candle, brew some tea or you just have sort of a sensory experience. So it's a very specific thing. It's not just a vague, amorphous, oh, I'm going to read sometime. You know, it's a, I'm going to read tonight and I'm going to make it a practice that has sensory experiences attached to it. And I find a lot of joy in that, you know, the smell of pine from the candle or the the taste of chamomile and the feel of the book in my hands. There's a lot to that, but I never would have found any of that if I still had pornography. Hmm. Because wow. because those simple pleasures don't do it for you right. when you have that dopamine flood. But now I'm starting to find that even the smell of the book is what, you know, there's like, you know what I mean? There's <laughs> I totally like, <laughs> agree. <laughs> it's, I'm not a huge book nerd, but I just, it has freed me not only from the sin habit, uh-huh. but it has opened my life to be more joyful and more fulfilling and more satisfying. And I find more pleasure in the simple things than I ever thought I could and I find God in those things. Yeah. I, like reading through Exodus, normally I kind of skim through the last half of the book because it gets, you know, I just like, all right, yeah, in the tabernacle. But this time I took the time to read it. And I was, I kept rereading it <laughs> because I was so blown away by the detail that God attributes in his craftsmanship. And he fills these men with the spirit to do these things and the, and the way the threads are woven. And it just, <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing like if I, if I just heard that, I think, that, oh, that's kind of strange. Why are you so interested in that? But to find God's attention to detail. So I think that that's a piece of it is you find more simple joy. That is the epitome of 
well-functioning dopamine receptors. <laughs> if you can find joy in the second half of Exodus, God has healed your mind, brother. Amen. <laughs> because that is the uh, that is the desert wasteland. <laughs> um, no, uh, no pun intended, because they are in a desert wasteland there. But um, man, the rings, the purple, the I mean, I I've gotten stuck in the second half of exodus before like in the in the the 30s and the oh yeah it, it gets it, it, it gets it, slow it's it rough <laughs> yeah. it's like oh man another page yeah so that's a testimony in itself that's, amen you know <laughs> well we've got to wind things down here oh, and uh so let me ask you just a, a quick question by way of summarizing what would you recommend to somebody who is struggling with this issue and if there is a one-size-fits-all kind of recommendation here, what would it be? Or what would your word of encouragement be to somebody who's struggling with this? No, I think I'd say you are not alone. I think that's really important. To know that you're not alone in this struggle as a Christian. And don't let the shame hold you back from confessing to a trusted brother or if you're a woman, a sister in the faith. Because that's where you start. That's where the journey to freedom starts, is in the, the confession of sin and because I, I think I used to confuse the shame with godly sorrow, and that's a deadly mistake. Shame is not godly sorrow. Condemnation is not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is feeling the sorrow over the sin because it has separated you from God and repenting and going to and say, Lord, forgive me. I want life in you. And I think what we get caught up in and what I got caught up in as well, oh, well, this is the godly sorrow. I feel I'm miserable. I'm a wretch. I'm, I'm so terrible. Woe is me. I suck. I this, I that. And that is from Satan. Those thoughts, those condemning thoughts are not from the Lord. So I think that's a huge part of this is to recognize that, to inundate your, like saturate your mind with scripture about the truth that Jesus gives rest to those who are weary. He comforts the afflicted. He comes to set captives free, and we have been captives. But by his stripes we're healed, and there's freedom in the blood of Jesus, and there's freedom in that Christian community and in confession. So I would say find someone who you trust, and, and maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a youth group leader, maybe it's another Christian who you're close with and you get coffee with. I think it should be someone that you can connect with, though, because no one, no mature Christian is going to condemn you. If they are mature in their faith and they are mature in the Lord, there's no room for the condemnation of honest confession. That's where it comes, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, brother. You know, and there's a freedom there. And I think the next step is you may not need to cut out your internet. <laughs> I'm not saying everyone has to, has to cut out their internet and dumb down their smartphone. But don't write it off. <laughs> And obviously some people in certain situations, you can't. Maybe you're, you're in college, you have roommates. You can't do that. So try the site blockers. Try an accountability software. Find, you know, and, and try the restrictions on the phone. It has been so freeing because even in the tempting moments, I, there's nowhere to go to satisfy that lust when the temptation comes up. So I have to find joy in the Lord and I have to turn. And it gives me that extra second or that extra moment of time to recognize, no, I don't want to do this and turn to the Lord and be saved. So hopefully that's an encouragement to someone. You're not alone. Find someone you trust, confess and pray, and then get serious about it. And, and whatever that looks like in your life, 
is the way to do it because the freedom on the other side is so rich and so full and so satisfying. You know, in the Psalms, he says, my cup overflows. I understand what that means now in a way that I haven't before. You know, you can live that king, part of the kingdom here. There is freedom. That kingdom lifestyle isn't just when Jesus comes back. There is freedom of the kingdom now. You can live in that kingdom space now. And this is, I think, a way to do that. Great. Well, uh, thanks for coming in and for your candor and your words of encouragement. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, check out interview number 19 with Blake Courtright, where he talks about spiritual disciplines at length. You can do that at restitutio.org or just by subscribing in your phone or tablet. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation, why not... Swing on by to restitutio.org and look for Interview 20, How to Quit Porn, and you can leave a comment there. Please review us in iTunes so others can find the show, and we'll see you next time. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.